Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. It all began early on Saturday morning. So at 6.37am uh, Saturday morning, which was also Simchat Torah, which is a, an important Jewish festival, there was a uh, massive barrage of about 2,000 rockets launched from, from Gaza towards both southern and central Israel. It was an unprecedented terrorist assault by the militant Palestinian group Hamas. That rocket attack was a distraction from what Hamas were, uh, were carrying out on the ground. Young Israelis near the Gaza border had been at a music festival and were still dancing as the sun rose. In this video, just before the attack, you can see militants on paragliders dotted across the sky. Partygoers didn't realize what was about to happen. As they landed, hundreds were slaughtered. Those who survived ran for their lives. While paragliders brought terror from the skies, Trucks from Gaza were storming through Israel's defences. They used bulldozers and also explosives to breach the fence and hundreds, we're hearing perhaps as many as a thousand Hamas gunmen streamed into Israel. This propaganda footage released by Hamas shows the moment the border posts were stormed. The fence between Gaza and Israel was blown wide open. And they set about attacking uh, Israeli communities, military bases, and also just civilians who were out. Gunmen were walking through a border town, knocking on front doors, battering them down, and taking people away. Gun battles broke out on the highway. We now know of about 900 uh, Israelis who were killed in those few hours. Dozens were taken captive and taken into Gaza, including small children, elderly people, women, 
many civilians and also soldiers, and we're currently waiting to hear more about their fate inside Gaza. And there were skirmishes going on, I think, until, until early this morning. Israel retaliated by pounding Gaza with airstrikes, killing at least 560 Palestinians. Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli Prime Minister, ordered the biggest mobilization of Israeli reservists as he declared war on Hamas and promised that Israel's revenge would change the Middle East forever. Citizens of Israel, we are at war. Not an operation, not an escalation, a war. The enemy will pay an unprecedented price. Uh, in the last few minutes also, we've had the Israeli Defence Minister coming out and saying that he is ordering a siege on Gaza. Britain's chief rabbi made this comparison. No comparison is perfect, but in terms of scale, Israel has just experienced its 9-11. In terms of shock, Israel has just experienced its Pearl Harbor. Meanwhile, Hamas's leader had this to say. This is the battle of not only the Palestinians or the Gazans, it is the battle of all the Arab and Muslim nations. It is the battle for Palestine. It is a battle for Jerusalem. Just minutes before you've uh, come on air with me, we've had a threat from Hamas. Hamas says that if Israel continues to bomb the Gaza Strip without giving warning for civilian Palestinian civilians there, that they will begin executing hostages. It's been a horrific few days. So why did this happen now? And where does it go next? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the Israel-Hamas war explained. I'm Anshul Pfeffer. I'm a correspondent in Israel, currently sitting in Tel Aviv as, as we speak. And, you know, we should say we're recording Monday afternoon. It's about 4 p.m. in Israel at the moment. So things might change. Things are moving very, very quickly before people hear this. But how are things in Tel Aviv? Does it feel safe at the moment? Well, there was a, a missile siren about uh, two hours ago. Um, there were no no missiles fell in Tel Aviv or around. I think there were a few interceptions by the Iron Dome missile defense system. But generally, Tel Aviv is quiet right now. On uh, Saturday, there were a number of uh, air raid uh, of missile sirens. Uh, yesterday was was calmer. But most of uh, what's been happening has been happening uh, in the south of Israel, not, not in the center areas around Tel Aviv. We 
know so much about Israel's preparation for these sort of attacks normally. You know, it has the Iron Dome, which repels rockets. How were the Palestinians able to get around all of that? Well, from what we know so far, and, and it's still, you know, we're on day three now of, of what is, has become a war, so it's still uh, hard to get all the details in, with, what's ha- with what's happening. But what we know at this point is that this was an operation that Hamas were planning for many months, perhaps even a year. And uh, they had basically worked out a system whereby they could have uh, their their members, their gunmen, their uh, living near uh, the parts of the border which were breached. I mean, Gaza is a small place. It's at some points only six or seven miles wide. So these men would have been living in those areas and therefore they, they wouldn't have necessarily aroused the suspicion of uh, of Israeli intelligence by the fact that they're being there. The fact that they were Hamas members doesn't mean that they're planning an attack in any, in any immediate way. And Hamas would have certainly kept this to a very, very small circle of people in the know. Probably almost all the fighters who, who were sent in on this operation did not uh, have any of the details, perhaps only a few hours before were told to get to a certain place with their weapons. And what we've seen is is that the methods they've used for breaching the fence weren't high tech. You know, they used bulldozers and explosives, but the fact that they did this in one go at so many different locations, and they did it while there was a massive rocket attack uh, happening, turned out to, to have been very effective. Now, obviously, this is a significant intelligence failure of the Israeli intelligence community, which everybody knows is 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 usually very good at what it does but they failed to detect this they didn't see the signs and whatever they did see they didn't interpret correctly and that's the result that we saw on saturday morning and for british listeners i mean can you just explain being in israel right now what is the atmosphere like people are talking about it as israel's 911 well, it's very, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very sad moment to be in Israel. I, I think everywhere I've gone in the last day, I've heard, I mean, it, literally petrol stations, shops, anywhere I've stopped, I've heard people talking about how they know somebody who was killed, who is missing. We're talking about 900 dead people and somewhere in the in the area, perhaps of 100 missing and since this is a small country and everybody has relatives living down south, everybody has relatives in the army, friends, people they know, this has really, I think, touched almost every Israeli, if not his direct family, then more distant relatives, friends. I mean, I know so many people who were, who were there and, and were affected, and, 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 and I think it's, it's true of almost every Israeli right now. So the, the, the atmosphere in Israel is, uh, is heavy. I can imagine. And it must be horrific. For for listeners who don't really know the region, I mean, we should just explain, you know, we'll put a map up in the description of this episode, but we should just explain. Obviously, the Palestinian territories have been divided. You've got the West Bank on one side, named after the West Bank of the Jordan. And this is the Gaza Strip next to the sea. Just explain, you know, this attack has come from one side of the Palestinian territories. It's come from Gaza. Just remind us a bit about Hamas, who they are and what they're after, and why they would have launched this attack. Hamas is a militant Islamist organization which was, uh, which was founded in the late 1980s. And they've evolved as the main rival to the traditional 
leader of the Palestinian cause, Fatah, which is which is still based in Ramallah, and they dominate the Palestinian Authority in parts of the West Bank. In 2007, Hamas carried out a, a bloody coup against Fatah in Gaza and took control of, of, of that area. Uh, ever since there's been a closure of Gaza enforced by Israel and Egypt, which border the Gaza Strip. And Hamas certainly sees itself as the, the true leader of the Palestinian cause. And what happened on Saturday morning isn't just an attack at Israel, it's also a direct challenge to their rivals, for Palestinian leadership, to Fatah, saying, we can hit Israel like you've never managed to do. We can take prisoners. And the next stage, they will be demanding, in return for the release of their prisoners, they'll be demanding a total release of Palestinian prisoners held by Israel. And if that happens, they will have achieved something that Fatah had never succeeded in doing. And will have made a very serious claim to being the true representatives of the Palestinian cause. So for them, this is not just an attack on Israel, this is also a, a power play within the Palestinian people. And I suppose that also shows that not all Palestinian people will be supportive of these attacks. I, I haven't seen yet any opinion surveys of, uh, of the Palestinians. I'm sure not all, I know that not all of them support Hamas. But at the same time, it has to be said that there are a lot of Palestinians who don't support Hamas, but do feel that f- f- from their perspective, this attack was something that was needed to, to, to hit Israel, something that was needed to get some kind of leverage or bargaining power over Israel. We are looking at this study in Israel and in the West as a terrible terror attack, which it was. It, it, it was horrific. Uh, we're only now beginning to see the full detail of, of what happened. But from the Palestinian perspective, and not necessarily from a Hamas perspective, this is for them a historic victory. That, that no Palestinian organization has ever caused Israel so much damage in one in one attack. And this is a seismic event. And, and for many Palestinians, even if they're not Hamas supporters and certainly perhaps are not supporters of, of the kind of violent acts that we've seen. This is, at the end of the day, also part of, for them, of a historic struggle. And that sort of brings us to the question of why now? You know, for people in the West, this for a lot of people in Israel, this seems to have come out of nowhere. Why do you think this, that these attacks have happened now? And why this, this weekend in particular? Well, this weekend would have been, for just for tactical purposes, because it's a sort of holiday weekend in Israel, certainly they could have expected and were right to expect that the level of alertness and forces around the border were not as high. That does seem to have been the case. For, uh, with you know, broader timing, I think that we have been seeing over recent years how Hamas has been trying to stake this claim for themselves as being the main Palestinian resistance movement. And... Uh, the rivalry between Hamas and, and Fatah, which is something which is very, very much alive within the Palestinians, has sort of gone under the radar for foreign observers who just see them as some generic Palestinian people and don't understand that there is a lot of uh, rivalry going on inside. And very often this leads to the, to, to the choice of tactics when challenging Israel. And mm. I, you know, Hamas have been in this sort of struggle for years. And the specific timing now, I, I think we'll only find out later why they decided to ratchet up the levels of violence right now. And it, it may turn out to have been a huge strategic mistake for Hamas because Israel is and will continue to escalate a, a devastating response. Until now, and this was the Israeli assessment, and 
which has turned out to be wrong, the assessment was that the dominant Hamas leaders, certainly in Gaza, were focused right now more on trying to improve the economic situation in Gaza, rebuild infrastructure there, rather than launching uh, uh, something which would lead to yet another war with Israel and more destruction in Gaza. That has now turned out to be a huge mistake of the Israeli intelligence assessment. But we still need to ask, and, 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 and I don't think we have the full question yet, why did Hamas decide to do that? And we, we still have to find that out. And in terms of Israel's response, you know, they, they were caught off guard, but immediately began calling in reservists and putting themselves on a war footing. Just describe what the response has been and how different it is to any normal Hamas attack. Well, so far the response has mainly been airstrikes on Gaza, which have been pretty intense. We were, we were hearing of over 400 people killed in Gaza. We don't know how many of them are Hamas fighters and how many of them are civilians, but there certainly is a heavy death toll in Gaza over the last two days. But that is more or less similar to what we've seen in previous rounds of, uh, of warfare between Israel and Gaza. The big question now is what's next, because this won't stop at Israeli airstrikes. There will be a ground campaign. We don't know yet what the extent of it will be. The preparation is just something very large. We're, we're hearing numbers of uh, as much as 300,000 reserve soldiers uh, uh, who have been called up. But there are other ways in which Israel will, will choose to strike uh, Hamas, not necessarily in Gaza. There are there, the talk of assassinations of Hamas leaders who are in other parts of the region currently. Most of the leadership is in Lebanon. And there's talk of a much wider Israeli campaign against, uh, against Hamas. One government, Israeli government official, said to me, we are now going to treat Hamas like the West uh, has treated Daesh, the Islamic State, that this is an entity which cannot be allowed to remain and we will eradicate Hamas, not just go after its fighters and, it, and, and its leaders, but we'll also go to countries like Qatar, which have hosted Hamas, and say, if you want to continue being part of the uh, uh, of a more open Western world society, then you can't continue hosting Hamas and helping fund it. There wow. was, there's talk of, uh, of going to the Dubai and saying, you're the ones, uh, you, this is the country where Telegram, the social uh, network, is, is based. You have to get rid of Hamas accounts from, from that platform. Talks with European uh, governments about various uh, Palestinian NGOs, which Israel uh, considers front organizations for Hamas, that they have to be outlawed. This is going to be an all-encompassing campaign by Israel, and we're, and we're only at the very first, very early stage of that. And as you said, 300,000 reservists, we think, an extraordinary number are being called up. We've even seen former prime ministers, Naftali Bennett, donning his uniform and turning up to, to help fight. What would that look like? Because unlike previous eras when, you know, there's been just a flattening of Gaza, an awful lot of bombing in response to attacks, there's now a complication of the hostages who are spread around Gaza as far as we know. Do we know how Israel will, will deal with that? Well, this is one of the main operational difficulties for Israel in launching this campaign, the presence of dozens of of Israeli uh, hostages there. The, the, one of the assessments is that a number, a large number of these are, are already dead and Hamas snatched bodies so they could claim that they're holding live citizens. But there are certainly dozens of live uh, citizens there as well. And the the real question is is whether Hamas is going to use them as uh, as, as as shields as uh, as live shields, and 
so far the assessment is that MS want to keep them alive as bargaining chips and therefore they won't risk putting them in harm's way when Israel attacks. So on the other hand, they, since they have more than just a few, maybe some will be used. It, it, it will re- you, you, this is really a very early stage to ask those questions. Hamas have already claimed that some Israelis were, that they were holding were killed in the bombings. I think that the, the bottom line is that Israel will have to uh, uh, work in Gaza in the knowledge that they're also putting Israelis at risk because th- there is no way that Israel can know exactly where its people are in Gaza. But the, the hope is that for Hamas, the, they're too valuable to, to expose to Israeli attacks. Coming up, why was Israel so ill-prepared for the attack? Why didn't the Israeli intelligence services see it coming? And who will be blamed? That's in just a moment. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Anshul, this is being described as the biggest military setback and intelligence failure for Israel in 50 years. And it sort of goes against everything people have always believed about Israel's abilities in terms of intelligence. Just remind us of how unlikely this is and how Israel has has been quite world leading in its ability to be across intelligence up until now. Well, the fact that Israel has some of the most powerful, resourceful, well-organized uh, and experienced intelligence services. That's obviously not new, but when we're talking here about an enemy which has nowhere near Israel's capabilities, whether in firepower or in surveillance, but it's an enemy which has been sitting on Israel's border f- for so many years, looking at Israel closely, examining every chink in its armor, every vulnerability, while the Israeli establishment and the the government haven't necessarily been focused on Gaza in the same way. They've been focused on many things, on Iran, on Hezbollah in Lebanon, on the West Bank, and that's just on the security level. The Israeli government in the last nine months has been busy trying to weaken the Supreme Court and facing a massive protest movement on the streets from Israelis who stood up for democracy. So when a small poor and under-equipped rival is focusing constantly on its enemy. And the, and, and the other side, which is much better equipped, much bigger, has much more firepower, is focused elsewhere. This is when such an upset can happen. It's not, it doesn't mean that, that Hamas is as powerful as Israel. It isn't, it isn't even in the same mm. power league as Israel. But this is one day, one, one round of warfare in which Hamas won because they were focused on what they were trying to do. They had sought out every Israeli vulnerability on the border and attacked them all together in one moment when Israel's eyes were elsewhere. And this is the result. And and 
As as you mentioned, Israel has been distracted by its own, you know, there have been protests within the country. There's been a lot happening. Will Netanyahu be blamed for what's happened? Well, obviously, after such a devastating military setback, the blame will go in all directions and all levels of the intelligence community and, and the military structure. But this has now happened on Benjamin Netanyahu's watch. He's a man who's sold himself for so many years as Mr. Security and the man who, who knows best how to fight terror. And now he, on his watch as prime minister, Israel has suffered its most terrible, terrible blow ever from Palestinian terror organizations. So there's no way that Netanyahu can emerge from this unscathed, whether on a political level or the judgment of history. He will now be remembered for this more than anything else. He is the longest serving prime minister in Israel's history, 16 years in total in office. He wants to stay on. He's 73, but he still wants to stay on. Well, for as long as he manages to survive politically, that doesn't really matter anymore because his Israeli history will now remember him as Mr. Failure, the man who presided over it, the worst calamity befalling Israel in half a century. And this, you know, obviously, we know Netanyahu, he won't resign voluntarily. But this will, I think, ultimately bring an end to his political career. But I can't predict at this point how long that will take. And Angel, Netanyahu, as some listeners will remember, was briefly ousted from power in 2021 and then had this dramatic comeback the next year. He is now in charge of what's often seen as a very controversial coalition government and many of their policies dealing with the Palestinians in particular have been seen as very controversial. How much do you think those policies will be blamed for what's happened? There's a lot of things we can say about this government's policies, uh, and, and especially on on the Palestinian front. But from what we know, this this plan could well, this operation could well have been in the planning when Netanyahu was still in opposition. I don't think this is Hamas acting against anything specific that Israel or the Israeli government has done in the last few months. This is a strategic decision by Hamas to launch uh, what, the most damaging attack they can on Israel and to try and get, as they, as they have, uh, as many hostages. Uh, and this was something that was probably already being planned uh, in, the pre- in the period of the previous government. I don't think it's necessarily connected to the specific policies or, or personalities of the current Netanyahu government. And a lot of people are wondering how Hamas managed to pull this off and, and where they were getting support from. Is it widely believed in Israel now? Is there evidence that this is an operation backed by Iran? And there were questions over the weekend and all of the uncertainty that about whether Russia might be involved. What, what do we now know? Well, Iran is certainly Hamas's main sponsor. It funds it. It uh, helps it uh, with weaponry and military expertise. So... Whether or not Iran was directly connected to the planning and implementation of this operation, Iran has a part in it. Uh, Russia has given Iran uh, and and, and Hamas cover over the years. I don't think that the Russians were, were involved in this. And there isn't as yet evidence of direct Iranian involvement in this operation. So I think we should be careful from rushing to conclusions. But there's no question Iran is certainly very happy with what's happened and will... Uh, 
will, will be basking in what they see as Hamas's glory. And uh, it, it serves Iran's purpose because Iran has been very worried for months now that the, uh, the negotiations between Israel and the Saudis w- would actually come to fruition and, and there would be an Israel-Saudi relationship which would marginalize uh, Iran to a large degree. So for them, anything which creates turmoil now in the region and probably it makes those negotiations more difficult, that works for them. There's no question about it. You know, as you mentioned that there was, up until this weekend, people thought there was going to be a deal between Saudi and the Israelis. It was uh, on on course for a normalization of relations. It would have changed the dynamic in the Middle East. Looking at the statements coming out of countries like Saudi Arabia and Egypt now, after the attacks, they're certainly distancing themselves from Israel. How do you think this might escalate now? I mean, w- what are your fears about where where things go in the region? I think that from the Saudi perspective, this doesn't change their main motive. They want a security alliance, which inclu- which is obviously backed up by the United States inclu- and includes Israel. That is it's still in their interest. They want this regional security f- uh, alliance. And part of it is a relationship with Israel. So I don't think that, if anything, what happened on Saturday morning only underlines that. And they they know full well that Iran is also involved. So they're, they're no fans of Hamas in any way. At the same time, c- carrying out negotiations when Israel is at war, when as a result of that war, also Palestinian civilians are being killed. That is not a framework in which it's easy for the Saudis to operate. They also want to don't want to appear in the Arab world as those who have forsaken the Palestinians. So I think this will probably cre- create some kind of delay to the talks. I don't think it changes the dynamics. I, I think that from the Saudi perspective, it perhaps is, it, it makes it even more important for them to have this deal, but it will certainly take more time now. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Anshul Pfeffer, our correspondent in Israel. If you're a subscriber, you can follow all of Anshul's excellent analysis and up-to-the-minute coverage of the war at thetimes.co.uk. The producers today were James Shield and Taryn Siegel. The executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by David Crackles. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Tomorrow.